We come this morning to a study of the third commandment, and the message is going to be by way of a general introduction before we get into some of the details that we might draw out of this commandment as they're set forth in other parts of the Word of God. The text is taken from Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. I cannot impress upon you, my dear ones, the solemn importance of the law of God. And what an extremely serious matter it is for us to break willfully and deliberately the commandments of God. And one of the most serious commandments to be broken is the taking of the name of the Lord our God in vain. For God adds a curse to those who do so by saying that he will not hold him guiltless but rather he will hold that person guilty, completely guilty, if he takes his name in vain. Now this commandment has two parts. First of all, there is a negative expressed, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. This means that we must not under any circumstances, in our lives, in our thoughts, in our speech, cast any reflection and dishonor on the name of God. Now, the name of God stands for everything that pertains to God. Then there is an affirmative or a positive implied. If we are not to take the name of God in vain, then it is implied that we are to reverence and honor his name. We are taught in our Lord's prayer to the disciples to say, Hallowed be thy name. And so we hallow the name of God. We reverence the name of God. This morning will be well spent if we do nothing other than get into our minds something of a definition of the third commandment. And so, in order to give to you a full definition of the meaning of the third commandment, I want to do three things. First of all, read the definitions we have in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is our doctrinal standard, and then in the larger catechism, and then give to you the several points that were published in 1682 by the Puritan preacher Thomas Watson in his book on the Ten Commandments as to what is involved in taking the name of the Lord in vain. In the Shorter Catechism, question 53, which is the third commandment? The answer, the third commandment is, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. 
For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Question 54. What is required in the third commandment? The third commandment requireth the holy and reverent use of God's names, titles, attributes, ordinances, word, and works. Question 55. What is forbidden in the third commandment? The third commandment forbiddeth all profaning or abusing of anything whereby God maketh himself known. Question 56. What is the reason annexed to the third commandment? The reason annexed to the third commandment is that however the breakers of this commandment may escape punishment from men, Yet the Lord our God will not suffer them to escape his righteous judgment. Then the larger catechism, which really expands the answers to the shorter and therefore becomes somewhat of a commentary on the commandment, in question 112 asks, What is required in the third commandment? Answer, the third commandment requires that the name of God, his titles, attributes, ordinances, the word, sacraments, prayer, hopes, vows, lots, his works, and whatsoever else there is whereby he makes himself known, be holily and reverently used in thought, meditation, word, and writing, by an holy profession and answerable conversation to the glory of God and the good of ourselves and others. Question 113, what are the sins forbidden in the third commandment? The sins forbidden in the third commandment are the not using of God's name as it is required and the abuse of it in an ignorant, vain, irreverent, superstitious, or wicked mentioning or otherwise using his titles, attributes, ordinances, or works by blasphemy, perjury, all sinful cursings, oaths, vows, and lots violating of our oaths and vows if lawful, and fulfilling them if of things unlawful, murmuring and quarreling at, curious prying into and misapplying of God's decrees and providences, misinterpreting, misapplying, or any way perverting the word or any part of it to profane jests, curious or unprofitable questions, vain janglings or the maintaining of false doctrines, abusing it, the creatures or anything contained under the name of God, to charms or sinful lusts and practices, the maligning, scorning, reviling, 
or any wise opposing of God's truth, grace, and ways, making profession of religion in hypocrisy or for sinister ends, being ashamed of it or ashamed to it, the religion, by unconformable, unwise, unfruitful, and offensive walking or backsliding from it. What reasons are annexed to the third commandment? The reasons annexed to the third commandment in these words, the Lord thy God, and for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain, are, because he is the Lord and our God. Therefore his name is not to be profaned or any way abused by us, especially because he will be so far from acquitting and sparing the transgressors of this commandment as that he will not suffer them to escape his righteous judgment. Albeit many such escape the censures and punishments of men. But God's punishments are not determined by whether men punish or not. Now, the Apostle James said, If any man can control his tongue, the same man is perfect. For he points out that the most evil member we have is the tongue. And by many words we offend in all. The Bible commands us to study, to be quiet, and especially admonishes women to do so. The Bible says that we are to be persons of few words because we shall give an account in the judgment of God for every word that we have ever spoken. If in our speaking or behavior we profane the name of God, God then looks upon us as criminal enemies and so will severely punish us on the account of the sin of breaking the third commandment. Now I want to turn to a listing as beautifully outlined by the Puritan Thomas Watson as the ways in which we break the third commandment. First of all, we take God's name in vain when we speak slightly and irreverently of him and his name. In other words, you don't have to say something positively slanderous and bad about God, but you can only speak slightly of God, irreverently of God. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 28, we are warned against this. For here in chapter 28 and verse 58, God says, If thou wilt not observe to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that thou mayest fear this glorious and fearful name, the Lord thy God, then the Lord will make thy plagues wonderful. 
And when he says he will make his plagues wonderful, that does not mean in the sense that we use the word as something good and something to jump up and down and rejoice in, but he means that the plagues he will visit upon us for abusing his name will be so severe and of such a nature it will be a wonder to all men. We will be struck with wonderment that we have been so judged. God is the majesty of heaven. Would you walk up to a king and slap his face? You do even more when you abuse the name of the God of heaven. In the second place, we take the name of the Lord our God in vain when we profess that he is our God and then we do not live accordingly. When we profess that we are Christians and then we don't live like Christians. In the book of Titus, for example, the Apostle Paul brings this out where he says in chapter 1 and verse 16, They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. Therefore, if you're disobedient to God, and you profess that he is your God and that you are his people, then you have a false profession. And in that profession that I am a Christian, you have taken the name of God in vain and so will cause sinners round about to stumble at our Christian religion. In the third place, we take the name of the Lord our God in vain when we use his name loosely in idle discourse or conversation. In other words, when you and I are carrying on a conversation with one another, and then we just interject into that conversation names and attributes and characteristics of God, we are profaning his name. Now, there are some people who cannot talk without using that kind of language. And I have always been told, and I believe there's something to it, that a person who cannot speak without profanities simply is a person who is ignorant and limited in vocabulary. He cannot say what he means without taking the name of God in vain. Well, now, this is far more than saying, My God! I wish you hadn't done that, or for Christ's sake, let's do this or that or the other. But even when we fall down into the realm of saying golly, because that's just another way of saying God. Or golly bum, that's simply saying God is a bum. Then you use holy cow, and that casts a reflection upon the sacrificial work of the Lord Jesus Christ symbolized in those holy cows in the Old Testament that were sacrifices unto God, that typified the Lord Jesus Christ. In the fourth place, we take the name of God in vain when we worship Him with our lips, but not with our hearts. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 29, God rebukes those who claim to be his people when he says in verse 13, 
Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, oh, they can be religious when they're in a church service and when they are wanting to impress somebody else that they are religious. And with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people. And what is that marvelous work? He says, I'll take their wisdom away from them. I'll make them fools. I'll give them over to their father. Therefore, God will not hold us guiltless if we take his name in vain and profane that name by using it on lips when our hearts despise him. Now, hypocrites do this in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 33, the prophet Ezekiel deals with this. He's describing here the reaction of people to preachers. In verse 30, he says, Ezekiel, the people are still talking over by the walls and the doors of the houses. You're the talk of the town. And they speak to one another, and they are saying, Come, let's go and hear uh, what the word of the Lord is going to be this time. In other words, we, we don't mind hearing him. And then in verse 31, And they come unto thee as the people of God, not the people of God. They come to thee professing to be the people of God, and they sit before thee as my people, simply professing to be my people, and they hear your word. They like the way you preach, Ezekiel. They like the way you speak. They hear your words, but they will not do them. With their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. Then God said, I'll not hold them guiltless for taking my name in vain, because I'm going to remove the word of God, and they're going to know there has been a prophet one time in the land. Where is he now? They're going to know there has been a prophet of the Lord. But where is he now? Listen, we don't take lightly anything that pertains to our God. And the more I study the law of God, the more fearsome I become in my own soul, lest I offend him. I'd rather offend all the men of the world and bring down their wrath and judgment and my death than the displeasure of God. Superstitious persons take God's name in vain. Remember what the catechism said? Those who use charms. Do you have a rabbit's foot in your pocket today? You think that rabbit's foot will bring you good luck? It didn't bring that rabbit very much good luck, did it? He had four of them. Somehow or another, he got killed and lost the one he had. You carry a lucky charm with you? You think if you wear a cross around your neck, pin one on your suit, that that some way or another is going to keep evil away from you when your heart is not set upon God in obedience to Him? You can use religious ceremonies and charms that have never been appointed by God and think that out of this you'll have a good spell. All luck will come your way, but you're profaning the name of God. Our trust is not to be in these things. Our trust is to be in God. 
I'm amazed at intelligent people who get nervous if a black cat walks across their path. Well, I frankly love black cats, and I, they're just as harmless as any other. The only danger of ever walking under a ladder is the man on top of it might pull them. Bring you bad luck. I know intelligent, grown, educated people that won't walk with one shoe on because they have the feeling that every step they take will bring them that many years of ill fortune. Right here in this country, right here in this city, I know people like that. That's because they don't believe in God. They don't trust God. We don't fear charms and spells and use all kind of ceremonies when our trust is in God. But further, in the fifth place, we take the name of the Lord our God in vain when we pray to Him but do not believe in Him. If I come to God and if I pray in God's will, and if you're not praying in God's will, you don't have any business praying, and then I question His faithfulness and doubt whether he's able or willing, then I am casting doubt upon him and I am dishonoring him with unbelief because it's only with faith that we please the Lord. Therefore, we shouldn't ask God of that which we doubt he will do. In the sixth place, we take the name of the Lord our God in vain when we profane and abuse his word, the Bible. I personally will not tolerate a Bible to lie around with magazines and other books on top of it. When I walk into a home and I see a Bible abused in such a way, I know there's no reverence for the Word of God. Did you know that God says that he has exalted his word above his name. He says that in the psalm. We must reverence his word. Therefore, when wicked men meddle with the word of God, they take the name of the Lord our God in vain. You know, I'm, I never cease to be amazed at people because no matter who you meet, what their age is, how much learning they've got, how much they have not studied the Bible, when you begin to talk about biblical subjects, they are experts and know everything. Isn't that true? Now, if I am going to venture to build something, I will inquire of an architect and a contractor as to what's involved in it because I don't know anything about building. When I want a medical opinion about something that I'm going to express in a sermon in this pulpit, I usually go over and ask Dr. Sid Collier sitting here on the front row if my medical opinion is correct or not, because he's an expert in that field, having practiced medicine for nearly 50 years. Yet I have attended university and seminary nine years. and have spent 25 years studying the Bible on an average of six hours per day, and yet even some of you 
who've never even read through a whole book of the Bible will come up and say, well, Brother Griswold doesn't know what he's talking about there. How do you know he doesn't until you've read the Bible, you see? You go read it through. But everybody becomes an expert on the Bible except the ones who have spent their lives in the study of it. Like one man came to Charles Haddon Spurgeon and said, Mr. Spurgeon, I've read the Bible through twice. And the second time, I read it through on my knees. And I'm here to tell you that I've never yet seen the doctrine of election in the Bible. Spurgeon said, my soul, man, no wonder. If you read it through twice this year, you read it far too rapidly. And so you missed the doctrine altogether. And if you read it through on your knees, you were too uncomfortable to understand what you were reading. Now take it and go sit in a comfortable chair and read it slowly, and you'll see what it teaches. But when we handle the Word of God out of opinion, out of prejudice, meddle with that Word in matters we don't know, wherein we could be wrong, we're taking the name of the Lord, our God, in vain. In the Old Testament, the leper always had to wear a cloth over his mouth. About all he could cry was unclean, unclean. He couldn't speak the things of God. Now, I'd pay some folks to put a cloth over their mouths and listen for a while and see what God has got to say. But this especially applies to preachers. These liberal preachers who deny the Bible to be the Word of God and Jesus to be the Savior, and then stand and speak hour after hour and in a lifetime millions of words. Profane the name of God that often and will be brought into judgment on the account of it. Now in this there are some particular ways in which we take the name of the Lord our God in vain. First of all, if you ever speak scornfully of the Word of God or the Bible, you've taken His name in vain. Whenever a truth is set forth in the Bible and you ridicule that truth and scorn that truth as they did Peter saying you preach judgment and the second coming and we're still here. Where is the second coming? They were scorning the word of God. And the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 29 judgments in the plural are prepared for scorning. Another way you take the name of the Lord in vain is when you speak jestingly about God's Word. When you joke about it. When you make it sport and play with the Scripture. As if it's something to joke about. When you play with the Bible as being other than the sacred and holy Scripture of God, you're playing with fire. You're playing with fire. God tells us in Proverbs chapter 1 verse 26 that because we've laughed at him and we've mocked at him in that day when calamity falls upon us and we cry unto him that he will mock us, he'll make fun of us and let the calamity fall. Another way in which you profane the name of God is when you take the scriptures and use them as an excuse for sin. 
hunting and picking in the Scripture and saying, oh, well, I believe that this Scripture gives me an excuse for committing a sin. I'm in grace, and I want to prove that I'm not saved by works, so I'll go out and I'll commit sin. And if you defend any sin by the Bible, you're taking God's name in vain. Furthermore, if you adulterate the Word of God, water it down, and rest it to a wrong meaning. Watson said, such are heretics who put their own gloss upon Scripture and make it speak that which the Holy Ghost never meant. This means then that you and I do not have the right to pick and choose that out of the Bible which we ourselves like and want to have and avoid doctrine that offends us or offends others. It also means that we adulterate the Word and profane the name of God when we will not learn the Bible. When we say, I'm not going to learn it, I'm not interested in learning it. When we don't respect the Bible and when we don't desire to know the Scriptures because this is the only way that you're going to know about the God that's created you and the God that gives you your life and the God that's going to deal with you in time to come. Don't you resist the Bible and make fun of its teachings. Never. Never. I'm very careful about making fun of those that I know are not even right in what they're teaching, lest it slip over and cast reflection on the Word of God itself. Then we profane the name of God when we swear in His name. Christ said, swear not at all. And He meant by that, don't take God's name in vain. There is a permitted taking of an oath and swearing before a magistrate or for the settlement of an argument. However, today on television and in the movies and in the books we read, the name of God is thrown around in such profanity and blasphemy until cursing and swearing and profanity is becoming a way of life for our young because the parents are not pointing out the anti-Christian Movement to break down our morality and so we don't think there's anything wrong in bringing God's dams on other people and confining people to hell when that's not for us to do. And so we use His name in vain. There is vain swearing when we, in our ordinary conversation, let little oaths fly, such as swearing by little things. I swear by the Bible. I swear on my mother's grave. And so on. Then there is vile swearing, where in anger or out of filth we take the name of God and use it in the cursings of others, which is a striking out at God. And then there is false swearing, which is perjury. And false swearing is a sin of sins because when you commit perjury, false witness, and you call God to bear witness to your false witness, you're asking God to be a false witness or a witness to a lie. Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 2 said, when you swear it must be in righteousness, not an unlawful oath. It must be in judgment. It must not be a rash oath. You must think about it for a while. It must be in truth. It must not be a false oath. Thomas Watson said, the perjurer binds his soul to the devil. He is a thief. By his false oath, he robs the innocent of his right. 
He is a perverter of justice. He occasions the jury to give a false verdict and the judge to pass an unrighteous sentence. Furthermore, we take the name of the Lord our God in vain when we prefix His name to any wicked action. By God I'll do this, man will say. Or by God I'll get even with you. And when you've done so, you have sworn in the name of God and sinned. Furthermore, we abuse the name of God and break the third commandment when we use our tongues in any way to dishonor God's name. When we rail against Him, when we rail against His Bible, when we rail against His church, when we rail against His people, yea, even when we wish a curse against ourselves. Well, I know, I know how you act. I've been right there with you. Things don't go well. You fall out with mom and dad. You feel like folks are against you and picking on you. And you go up in the corner and say, I just wish I was dead. Then, they, then they'd be sorry. I wish I was dead. God might give you what you wish. I read of a man who wished that his body might rot. If that which he said was not true, and soon after that his body rotted. And he became a loathsome spectacle. I was preaching a meeting before I came to pastor this church. And I've been in this church for 23 years. May I'll be 24. I was holding a meeting, a week's meeting, up in Limestone County. God was blessing the preaching and the word was going home to the people with great power. And there was a woman in that church who was living in a great scene which I can't even describe here, who said, we want that preacher dead. She went to her brother, and they followed me around for several days, drove me off the road one night. I had to drive at top speed through a large cotton field in order to escape to another road, but I kept right on preaching. The people in town there in uh, Decatur said to me, Be sure, preacher, that you watch where you go. They're carrying a forty-five in the seat of the car. I said, They can't touch me. I'm God's man. One day, it was coming toward the end of the meeting. Beautiful day. Sun was shining. It was in the summertime. And the man who had agreed to kill this preacher to shut his mouth so he couldn't preach against the sin to disturb the heart of his sister sitting up on top of a barn. And he was nailing a tin roofing down. When suddenly, I was there in the area, a little small cloud came up. And it rested over that barn. There was a sharp flash of lightning, a little clap of thunder, and the man fell from the barn dead. They put him into the grave. And I went on preaching, and as a result, the man involved with this woman saw his whole family brought to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the church repented. Don't you ever make any rash vows, because that's taking the name of the Lord our God in vain. You make vows, you are supposed to carry them out unless they're wrong vows, and then they're to be deeply repented of. You remember what Jephthah did? 
came home with great victory. He thought in his heart, I'm coming home. The first thing that'll meet me is my favorite dog, or I'll see some of my cattle, and I'm going to be reunited with my family. Oh, Lord, the first thing my eye sees, I will offer up as a sacrifice unto you. And as he stepped to his house, the first thing that stepped out to see him was his little girl, and she ran to him and embraced him, and he wept because he had to offer her a sacrifice. Would you be rash? In your vows. Now he sinned in making the vow and then sinned in keeping it. He should have repented of that vow. Don't you think he didn't kill her? And so when we speak evil of God, we murmur against his providence and his will and his ways with us and we say, God doesn't deal with me rightly. We're taking the name of the Lord our God in vain. And what does God say? He will not hold us guiltless. He will avenge himself. Sometimes he punishes swearing and blasphemy in this life, like the time when some of the Hebrew children took his name in vain. He sent the fiery scorpions or serpents into their midst and killed multitudes. Or if you are spared in this life and are not brought to judgment either by God or man, there is a judgment Yet to come. And God says that you will give an account for every idle word spoken. God keeps a book on you and on me. And everything that we ever do or think or say is recorded. And in the judgment, these books are going to be opened. And chapter after chapter will be unfolded. God will not hold him guiltless that takes his holy and sweet and wonderful name in vain. That name that we worship. Our Father, we pray that thou wilt set a guard upon our lips. Give us grace to control our tongues. Put within our hearts a fear that we take not thy name in vain. And for those times that we have profaned thy name, through the blood of Jesus Christ, forgive us. And, O, oh, deliver us out of our sins and bring to us salvation. Bless this study to our hearts. Bless these days we spend together. And, O, oh, we pray that thou wilt raise up out of these students those that will carry forth the banner in defense of this name, even unto death, if it become necessary. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.